Good morning. Welcome to Three Legs Evangelical Free Church. We're excited that you are here. Uh, my name is Ian. I'm the youth and family pastor here. A um, couple of quick announcements as we start. Uh, next weekend, we are starting our Sunday morning uh, fall ministries. So Sunday school, uh, cross training, it's all starting. So we're going to be doing things a little differently than we have in years past. So we're going to be changing where stuff is. So next week, um, you'll get more info on that. October 22nd um, is our first uh, ladies' ministry kickoff, so that'll be coming up soon, um, 6.30 to 8.30 Thursdays um, downstairs. So it'll be once a month. Um, if you have questions, uh, please contact Lisa Miller. Um, and then finally, this one isn't in your bulletin, but Fun Club is looking for volunteers, whether you're willing to help out with kids, whether you're willing to drive a van, help out in the background. Um, we're looking for more people. So uh, this is a great opportunity. If you have any questions or you want to help out with that, uh, please contact Ann Epler or the church office. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Eric. Thank you. And I'd also like to welcome you to our worship service this morning. Um, those of you here in the room and wherever you may be, welcome to our worship. We're here to worship our God, and wherever uh, more than two have gathered, I think he's there. I know he's there, so we welcome you, and even those of you that are home, we consider you to be gathered with us this morning. So we are going to worship our God, and the first question is, is he worthy of our worship? And the answer is, he is. So let's stand together and sing our worship to him.
may be seated. Those words, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. I know some people don't like the repetitive nature of some modern song, but like, I can sing those words over and over again. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So, um, we're glad you're here this morning. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm sort of glad you're joining us, whether they're here in person or online or outside, or wherever you may be. We're glad you're here with us. Um, this is normally the time of our service where we would collect our offering. Um, we're not passing a plate during this season, but you have a few options. You can drop an offering in the plate on your left on the way out, or you can give online on our website. Um, so thank you to those of you who have been faithfully giving uh, during this season. We're thankful for you. If you're visiting with us, please know that we're not asking you to give or looking for you to give. We just want this service to be a gift to you. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, we, we thank you that as we've already sung this morning, that you are worthy Right, that we we live in a world that is broken and fallen, and we feel that acutely sometimes. Yeah, but we we trust that you are good, that you have a plan, that you are working all things out, that you will reveal yourself to be glorious and worthy of all praise and honor someday. That one day you will you will set all things right. We look forward to that day. We think that we have a chance to come here and to gather and to sing that you indeed are worthy of our praise and our honor. And we we thank you as well as we also sang like that and we we sin that we we ourselves contribute to the fallenness and brokenness of the world, that we are sinful. Our sins are many, God, but because of what you did for us in Jesus on the cross, taking our sin upon himself, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, that your mercy to us is more than whatever sins we have committed or will ever commit, that we are forgiven, that we stand before you. We can come to you now in prayer, confident that you hear us because your mercy is more. God, we thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus. We thank you for your good plan to bring about your purposes in this world, even in the midst of trial and darkness. God, as we, we think of particular difficulties that um, the world is experiencing now, whether it's fires or pandemic or rife in our city. God, we pray that you would be at work to bring about your purposes in those things. Even though things are hard and challenging, that we trust that you will use them to reveal your glory in your timing. God, pray that we would work to show your glory in the midst of those things as we wait for you to ultimately reveal yourself. Ultimately, show your purposes. We pray for those who are in our church family or people we know that are sick or struggling with illness or pain, that you would be with them, that you would give them comfort and peace and assurance of your care for them. God, as we continue our time of worship this morning, I pray that we would just be reminded. What a great God you are, how worthy of honor and praise and glory you are, and what a great Savior Jesus is. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what did you do? I tried to walk away, but he wouldn't stop pushing me. So I pushed him so hard he fell down. And that's why you were punished. Did you expect something different? But even Torah says eye for eye. Why should I be punished too? Yes, but that is for a judge. You are hardly in a court of law. And you, all of you, are to be special. 
You are to act differently than others. You tell us to be gentle, but Rabbi Josiah said Messiah would lead us against the Romans, that he would be a great military leader. It is important to respect your teachers and honor your parents. And Rabbi Josiah is a smart man, but many times smart men lack wisdom. Is there anything in scripture that says Messiah will be a great military leader? There are many things about scripture that you cannot understand yet, and that is okay, that is fine. You have many years ahead of you, and God does not reveal all things at once. But children, what if many of the things that our people think about how we are to behave and how we are to treat one another are wrong? You want things to be fair. When someone wrongs you, you want to right it. And you know who else loves justice? But what does the Lord say in the law of Moses about justice and vengeance? Vengeance is mine. Yes, very good. Very good. Boys, pay attention. She doesn't even go to Torah class, huh? <laughs> the Lord loves justice. But maybe it is not ours to handle. Do you remember when David had the chance to kill King Saul, who was evil to him? Saul was God's anointed. And it was not the right time for justice. And God says he will have compassion on his people when... What? Let's see if someone who studies this at school is learning. Huh? When their strength is gone? Yes. Very good. So, maybe we let God provide the justice. Maybe we handle these things in a different way. Not trying to be the strongest all the time. Even Messiah? You will have to see. But do not expect Messiah to arrive in Jerusalem on a tall horse carrying weapons. And he will be most pleased with those of you who are the peacemakers. Where were you yesterday? I had to stay in town later on was a woman who needed my help. Did you bug something for her? No. You remember when I said that I have a job that is bigger than my trade? There is a woman who has had much pain in her life. And she was in trouble. So I helped her. Is she your friend? She is now. And I have chosen her and others and more soon to join me in traveling. Do they know you? Not yet. But what if they don't like you? <laughs> Many won't. This is my reason for being here. I still don't understand. What is your reason for being here? I'm telling you this. Because even though you are children, and the elders in your life have lived longer, many times, Adults need the faith of children. And if you hold on to this faith really tightly, someday soon, you will understand all of what I am saying to you. But you ask an important question, Abigail. What is my reason for being here? And the answer is for all of you. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There. Isaiah, I have loved spending this time with you. You are all so very special. And I hope that my next students ask the same questions you do and that they listen to my answers. 
I suspect they do not have the understanding of you. And I hope that when the time comes, they will tell others about me, like you have. Jesus in Scripture and in this clip tells us that we should have the faith of children, one that is open, honest, authentic, and simple. So let's, if you can, let's stand together and let's continue to worship our God and celebrate this faith.
Amen. Please be seated. We're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 2 this morning. We have this week and then one more week in the book of Habakkuk. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. And as you kind of find that passage, one of, one of the many weaknesses of humans right, is, our, is our poor ability at comprehending like, very large things. Right? So, for example, like, we're really bad at really large numbers. So, like, just to prove this, take a little quiz. Like, so, some of you hear quiz, you have, like, traumatic flashbacks to pop quizzes in high school or something. But, like, we're gonna, you can do this quiz in your head. You don't have to tell anyone like, your answer. Just do it in your own head. And so, I'm even going to give you a little piece of information to help you with this quiz. Right? The, the helpful piece of information is this. A million seconds ago was about... 12 days ago. So a million seconds, 12 days ago. The question then is, how long ago was a billion seconds? Just come with the answer in your head. Don't tell anybody, because it's going to be embarrassing in a minute. So a billion seconds ago, right, 31.7 years ago. Like a billion seconds ago, I was two years old. So, given that information, then how long ago was a trillion seconds ago? A trillion seconds was 31,700 years ago. Like, like, depending on what you believe about the age of the earth, like, you may not even believe that the earth is a trillion seconds old. Like, so a trillion is a really long time. A really big number. Like, a million, 12 days, a trillion, 31,700 years. And yet, in my head, like, a million and a trillion don't seem all that different. You tell me, like, someone's a millionaire or someone's a trillionaire, and all I think is, they got a lot of money. Like, I, don't, I don't really separate the two in my head. Like, because it's just it's too big for us to really comprehend what's going on. Like, another example of this is, like, with the ocean. Right? So the ocean is, on average, on average, 2.2 miles deep. At its deepest, at seven miles deep, which sounds pretty deep. It's also wide, right? The ocean covers 70% of the Earth's surface. And these are probably things you've heard at one point or another. But there's, again, it's kind of hard to comprehend. So there's two ways of comprehending how much water is in the ocean that I find interesting. Like one is this. If you just started taking all the dry land on Earth, and like chucking it in the ocean until everything, which is a uniform ocean all over the world, just all the dry land gets thrown into the deep part of the ocean, making a flat ocean so that everything is a uniform depth. Right? The whole earth would be covered with an ocean two miles deep. Like remember I said, like the ocean right now is on average 2.2 miles deep. So if you took all the land on earth, all the mountains, all the land, threw it in the ocean, it would only make the ocean 0.2 miles shallower. Or another way to think about this. If you made a like, magical portal at the bottom of the ocean, like 60 feet across, right, bigger than a regulation basketball court, and that portal, like the water floats through that portal, magically spewed the water out into space somehow. A portal the size of a basketball court, it would take the ocean hundreds of thousands of years to drain. At the beginning, like the... the Ocean's level would drop by less than a centimeter a day, with water flowing through a portal the size of a basketball court nonstop. There is a, a ton of water in the ocean, right? incredible amounts of water, like 2.2 miles deep on average. And so it's a lot of water. So normally when I introduce my sermons, like I try to tie the introduction directly into the point of the sermon like right away. But this week, I just need to hold on to that information for a minute. Right? There's a lot of water, 2.2 miles of water on the ocean. Just hang on to that information. It'll come back in a minute. Right? But before we get to that, like I said, we're in Habakkuk chapter 2 this morning. Just a real quick recap of what we've seen in Habakkuk so far. 
Like Habakkuk starts out, the book starts with Habakkuk complaining, like looks out at God's people in Judah and says, God, like, these people are wicked, why aren't you judging them? And God responds by saying, like, don't worry, like, I'm going to judge them. I'm going to use the wicked, nasty Babylonians to judge Judah. And last week we saw Habakkuk responds and says, wait, you can't do that, right? Because the Babylonians are even more wicked than we are. It wouldn't be right of you, God. And like, from that we talked about the danger of comparative righteousness. The, the danger of thinking that God owes us anything because we perceive ourselves to be more righteous than the person next to us. And now in today's passage, God responds to Habakkuk once again. And what we see in this passage is this. That God will advance, God's glory will advance in his timing and through his means. What we see in this passage is that God's main concern is to spread his glory. And he will do whatever he deems best, at whatever time he deems best, in order to cause his glory to spread throughout the earth. So this is a pretty long passage. We're looking at verses, chapter 2, verses 2 through 20. And so and I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing word for word at the beginning like I typically do. But I think we'll read enough of it as we go along to kind of get a picture of what's going on. As we go through this passage, what we'll see is that, that kind of three things come into focus. One is God's purpose. Two is God's timing. And three is God's means. So we're going we're to walk through this passage this morning. We're going to look at each of these three things. God's purpose, God's timing, and God's means. And just kind of look at what they teach us about God and about our relationship with him. We're going to start by looking at God's purpose. Like one of, I think, the most important, and I think one of my favorite statements in the whole Bible about like what God is ultimately up to, what God's ultimate objective is, is found in this passage. In chapter, back in chapter two, verse fourteen, we read, "For the earth will be covered, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea." The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's ultimate goal for creation that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory. And that's not the only place, this is not the only place in the Bible where we see a statement like this. Psalm 72 says, Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Isaiah 11, this great prophetic vision of the future and what the Messiah will do. And in it we read, The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's ultimate purpose, God's primary concern in everything is that his name is glorified. That he is glorified throughout the whole earth. And this is where the amount of water in the oceans comes in. Because God does not just want like a little bit of his glory to reach every part of the earth. And he's not content with some thin layer of his glory over everything. He wants the earth to be filled with his glory as the waters cover the seas. Like 2.2 miles of God's glory blanketing the whole earth. And God created us, humans, to be the way that glory advances throughout the earth. So, one of the ways Vanessa and I try to help our kids grow in their knowledge and love of God is we go through something called the New City Catechism with them. And so, like, we sit around the dinner table and I'll ask, one of our two oldest daughters, Adelia or Evelyn, a question from this catechism. And they'll give this answer that they memorize, and then we'll talk about a few of the questions we asked, and the answer is kind of more in-depth and kind of help them learn about who God is. But one of the questions we ask is, how and why did God create us? And the answer that Adelia or Evelyn will give is, God created us, male and female, in his own image to glorify him. The reason God created us was to bring him glory. 
and it spread his glory throughout the whole earth. And so, that means God's ultimate concern is not primarily your moment-to-moment happiness. Like, yet your ultimate joy he's concerned with. But your moment-to-moment happiness, your moment-to-moment comfort is not God's ultimate concern. Like, his glory is his ultimate concern. And we see this right from the beginning of creation. Genesis 1. Right after God creates Adam and Eve, he tells them, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the Bible tells us like we're made in God's image. And part of what it means to be made in God's image is that we are made to perfectly reflect his glory to the rest of the world. But God creates Adam and Eve in his image as a means of displaying his glory to the world. And he tells them to fill the earth. Before the fall, before Adam and Eve's sin, the mission that God gave them was to basically to expand the borders of the Garden of Eden over the whole earth so that God's glory would cover the whole earth. Eventually, like Eden was to cover everything. And humans and God's image bearers were to have dominion over the whole earth. And in that, in that way, God's glory would cover everything. But then, Adam and Eve sin. Like, and while we're still made in the image of God, we no longer perfectly reflect God's glory in everything that we do. But God's purpose hasn't changed. He's still in the process of of ensuring that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. That leaves us with two questions. When and how? When is God going to bring this about? We can look around at the world and we can see lots of signs that, that God's glory is not covering the earth right now. We see sin and sickness, and death, and natural disaster, and wickedness. People treat each other poorly. And it's not hard to wonder, as Habakkuk did in the very first word of this book, how long, Lord? When are you going to do something? When are you going to make your glory spread? Why are you taking so long? And the second question is, how? If humans are sinful and we can like no longer perfectly reflect the glory of God, how is God going to make his glory spread throughout the whole earth? I think these are questions that, if we're honest, like they perplex us all from time to time. When are you going to do something, God? How are you going to do it? Because right now, like it sure seems, like if I look around, like my eyes, look, church seems like your glory is not advancing very far. Things look bleak. Things look so bleak that I can't even see how you could turn things around at this point sometimes. Right? But thankfully in this passage, like those two questions, when and how, are addressed. Maybe not with the specificity that we would like, right? but God assured us in this passage that his glory will advance when he deems best and in the way that he deems best. We're going to first look at what God has to say about when his glory will cover the earth. God says that his glory will advance in his timing. God assured Habakkuk that as the all-powerful, all-wise, sovereign God of the universe, he has a perfect plan for advancing his glory. In verse 3 we read, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Sometimes it can feel like God's purposes are never going to come to pass. Sometimes it can feel like God is lingering. We just want God to hurry up and act already. 
But this verse is a reminder to us that God will bring His purposes to pass. And our job is to wait patiently for it. Confident that because God is God, it will certainly come. God will glorify His name. God will ensure that knowledge of His glory covers the earth as water covers the seas. But it's the last three words of this verse that I find most interesting. It will not delay. Because it's one thing to believe that God will eventually bring His purposes to pass. That eventually He will ensure that He is glorified throughout the whole earth. But at least for me, it's harder to believe that God is acting as fast as He possibly could to achieve His purposes. Sometimes it seems like God is lollygagging. He's being slow to bring about His purposes. But those words, he will not delay. They tell us that God is not being slow. That God is not lollygagging. But that God is bringing about his purposes as fast as possible. If you're like me, you think, how can that be? Surely God could be doing something else to advance his glory more quickly. Surely he could bring mass revival. Surely he could perform visible miracles all over the world. Like Something. Surely God could do something to advance his glory more quickly. But this verse, this passage, it's an invitation to trust that God is that God, is God and you are not. That he knows how to best advance his glory and that we do not. That everything going on in the world right now will one day serve to ultimately display him in, in the most glorious way possible. This verse is an invitation to believe that if, if he brought massive revival right now, right, somehow that would diminish the glory he ultimately received. That if he performed miracles all over the world right now, that somehow, in a way we probably can't comprehend, that would diminish the glory he will ultimately receive. Like we, with our finite mental capacities, like cannot calculate how it is that God will receive the most glory. Like we can't do it. And sometimes there are things that seem obvious to us, obvious way for God to get more glory, that God isn't doing. But at the end of the day, like we must trust that God is at work to bring about His purposes. That God will ensure that Knowledge of his glory will cover the earth as waters cover the seas. Like, we must wait for it, trusting that it will certainly come, that it will not delay. And while we can't, we can't fully understand what God will do to bring glory to his name, right, this passage does show us the basic means that he will use to bring glory to his name. Like, for this passage, we see like the basic way God will... Bring, be glorified. And what we see is that God uses two means to bring about his glory. And the first of those means is judgment, which is what really the bulk of this passage is about. Habakkuk cried out to God, asking him, like, how could you allow the Babylonians to judge Judah in that way? And God's response through this whole passage is, like, like I'm being glorified by using the Babylonians to judge Judah. But I will also be glorified in judging Babylon. We're not going to read this whole thing, but verses 6 through 19 of this passage, they're basically a series of of woes or God's judgments that God pronounces through Habakkuk against Babylon. There are five five kind of woes, five judgments in this passage. So verse 6 starts out by saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself Wealthy by extortion. Right? But God saying, Woe to you, Babylon. Verse 9 says, Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. Verse 12 says, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. Verse 15 through 17, right? God tells Babylon, He's going to judge them for their violence they had done to other people. And verses 18 through 19, it's a woe against Babylon for their idolatry, for worshiping false gods. And so, like, basically, this, most of this passage is a list of all the things that Babylon has done wrong. 
and then God promising that he will judge the Babylonians for those things. Like One of the ways that God receives glory, that God is going to glorify himself, is by judging and punishing all the wrongdoing that has ever been done. In this passage, he's talking about judging the sins of Babylon. But one of the points of this book, one of the points of the Bible, is that everyone will be judged for their sin eventually. That God uses Babylon to judge Judah for their sin, and then like 50 years after the book of Habakkuk is written, God's going to use Persia to judge Babylon for their sins, and it goes on and on. And like every sin we commit will be judged. And God does it all to show himself to be glorious. Because like, every sin we commit is us rebelling against God. It is us saying, like, I know better than you, God. It is us saying, like, I don't need you, God. Like, I'm fine on my own. Or it's us saying, like, I'm going to trust in something else to give me joy and purpose and meaning and hope. Like, I'm going to trust in money or success or power to give me those things. And when we say those things, what we're ultimately saying is that, like, Something else deserves glory rather than God. Either I deserve the glory or the thing I'm trusting in deserves the glory. But either way, it's not God that deserves the glory. That's what we say when we sin. So if the knowledge of the glory of God is going to cover the earth, if the waters cover the seas, God cannot permit something else to take his glory and therefore he must judge sin. Like if he allowed sin to go unpunished, like he would not show himself to be maximally glorious. Like God must judge sin. Which is bad news for us, because we all sin. Like we all do things that try to steal God's glory and give glory to ourselves. We all do things that show that we think we know how to run things better than God does. And therefore we all deserve to be judged for our sin. But thankfully, however, like, judgment is not the only way that God will reveal his glory. The second means that God uses to show his glory that we see in this passage is salvation. In verse 4 we read, See the enemy if puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And Habakkuk here like, draws a comparison between the wicked person and the righteous person. He says that the enemy, the wicked person, if puffed up and like, his desires are not upright. But he says the righteous person will live. Like, or the righteous person will be saved. Right? So God advances in glory by judging the wicked, but also by saving the righteous. But what I find most interesting in this verse is how the righteous person is saved. Habakkuk says that the righteous person will be saved from God's judgment against sin by his faith or faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but that's not how I'd expect that sentence to end. I would expect it to end like the righteous person will live by his righteousness. Or the righteous person will live by his good works. If the wicked person is judged for their wickedness, for their sins against God, it seems like the obvious counterexample, the obvious opposite, that the righteous person will not be judged because they don't sin, because they are righteous. But that's not what Habakkuk says. He says the righteous person will live, the righteous person will be saved by his faithfulness, or by his faith. Just kind of a side note, the NIV translates that last word as faithfulness, like, you go to other translations, English translations, like, there's a pretty even split, whether it's faith or faithfulness. Uh, like, the translation I use when I prepare sermons is the ESV, and they say faith instead of faithfulness. And, like, I don't think it changes the meaning a whole lot, but I do think, in this case, like, faith is probably the better translation. And the reason I think that is, like, this verse in Habakkuk gets quoted in the New Testament a number of times. Like twice by Paul, once in the book of Hebrews. And when it's quoted, I think 
faith makes more sense than faithfulness. So for example, Galatians 3.11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Here's the point. No one can avoid God's judgment simply by living an obedient life and obeying the law. As we said, we all sin, we all deserve judgment. But God will display his glory by saving from judgment those who have faith in him. So on the back each day, it wasn't perfectly clear how God was going to do that. But God, but Habakkuk called the people to trust that God would save them by their faith even in the dark days as Babylon closed in. But now, like for us, at this point in history, on this side of the cross, like we have a much fuller picture of what it means for the righteous to be saved by faith, for the righteous to live by faith. That the words, the righteous shall live by faith, are an invitation to trust that God's Son, Jesus, came to earth and lived the perfect life, but was still killed as a criminal on a cross. And on that cross, Jesus takes all the judgment that you and I deserve for our sins. That God's judgment is poured out on Jesus instead of us. In that way, if we have faith in Jesus and what he did for us, we are saved from the judgment of the wicked. Like Through faith in Jesus, we are seen as righteous by God, and so we are able to live and have eternal life. So God's glory is seen not only as he judges the sins committed against him, but also as he saves people from that judgment. Right before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he was speaking to God and he prayed this prayer. He said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. What happened on the cross is the most God-glorifying event in all of history. On the cross, the two means that God uses to bring glory to his name, judgment and salvation, come together as he pours out judgment on his beloved Son in order to save us from our sins. God's glory advances as people are saved from their sins by trusting in Jesus. And the amazing thing for us is that God invites us to be a part of advancing his glory by telling other people about Jesus. Just as Adam and Eve were to spread the glory of God by expanding the borders of the Garden of Eden, like we too are called to expand the borders of God's kingdom by sharing with others how they can be saved from God's judgment against their sins. And this passage concludes with these words. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. There is coming a day when everyone on earth will see God as he truly is. That everyone on earth will see God as the sovereign God who reigns over the whole universe. And, the, and when that day comes, the only response any of us will be able to offer right, is odd silence. For those who haven't trusted him, like there's no time to make excuses or to offer rebuttals. Like we just sit in silence. Like on that day, God will make the knowledge of his glory cover the earth and the waters cover the seas. He'll do it by judging those who have lived in sin and stolen his glory. And he will do that by saving those who have placed their faith in Jesus. Like on that day, like he will set all things right. There will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more sin. And as Christians, we have the great joy of looking forward to that day in hope. Trusting that nothing that is going on in our world now will diminish God's glory in that day. While we wait eagerly for that day, we also have the privilege of spreading God's glory throughout the earth 
by living lives that honor God, by proclaiming good news of what Jesus has done to the people around us. Look, I pray that as a church, we would be known as a people who take seriously the responsibility of bringing God glory and proclaiming Jesus to others. Let's pray. Father, you are indeed glorious. You are indeed mighty. You are indeed majestic. And we just we confess that we don't we don't live in awe of you as we should. We don't live in an awareness of your glory as much as we should all the time. That we do things that try to bring glory to ourselves instead of you. We we know we deserve judgment for our sins. That our sins are many. God, we praise you. We thank you for Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. By believing in him, we can be confident that our sins are forgiven, that they have already been judged. You have mercy toward us. You put out your grace on us. That we look forward to spending eternity in glory with you. But as we live now, here, this life on this earth, among people who don't know you, among a world that is broken and hurting, may we take seriously the opportunity, the privilege of advancing your glory in a hurting, fallen, and broken world. We may, may we proclaim the glory to what you have done for us, to those around us, and we seek reconciliation and redemption and the broken things among us. That all that we do, all our lives, that would serve to bring you glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we, as we leave here today, just go knowing that you have been invited to join God in his mission of making his name great, of spreading his glory throughout the earth. Go proclaiming his gloriousness. You are dismissed.